Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Russia has said from the beginning of its invasion of Ukraine that it was justified because its goal was to denazify the country. A claim Russia's foreign minister recently upheld and doubled down on. The question then, beyond the headlines, is Russia really looking for an exit ramp or are they just looking at full steam ahead? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. There have been moments uh, over the course of the last 60 plus days that it seemed like there might be a possibility for peace, that there might be an off ramp that would enable Vladimir Putin to save some face or to have a story to tell to his people to remain in power and to convince them that this was all exactly what he had planned from the beginning. But in recent days, uh, that has uh, not been looking like an exit ramp. It looks like a doubling down and an acceleration in terms of their efforts and their intentions as it relates to Ukraine. In an interview on Italian television, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov responded to a question about Russia's claim of denazification of Ukraine this way. When they say, what sort of Nazification is this if we are Jews? Well, I think that Hitler also had Jewish origins, so it means nothing. He added, quote, for a long time now, we've been hearing the wise Jewish people say that the biggest anti-Semites are the Jews themselves. Uh, so that's a, a big statement by the foreign minister of Russia. Uh, again, wild claims uh, connecting Hitler to having Jewish origins and that uh, because of that, uh, that the fact that uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine uh, is Jewish, uh, that that he still can be uh, uh, a Nazi, that he could be part of this this whole problem. Uh, here's Vladimir Putin saying previously uh, that one of Russia's goals in Ukraine was this denazifying of the country. We will be aiming at demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. So where does that put us? Uh, really interesting, in an exclusive interview with Fox News reporter Griff Jenkins, President Zelensky said that Lavrov was using tactics that were very similar to those employed by Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels during World War II. Take a listen. These are the showings of uh, chauvinism and, and nationalism. They are um, following the same uh, concept of, of cables and they're using the same methodology. And the reaction, I think, is still weak in the world um, to these phrases of Lavrov. So I think one of the things that President Zelensky said there that is real crucial. We see this a, a lot in politics these days. Uh, he, President Zelensky said, I think that the focus, the purpose of this coming out of Russia is to weaken the world to these kinds of phrases. The phrases 
that Lavrov's been using, that desensitization uh, to where those things become more acceptable or less offensive. And that's worrisome because that is one of the worries is the further we go into this battle between Ukraine and Russia's incursion and invasion of the country uh, is that as we start to lose focus, as the media loses interest, as the American people try to move on to other things, uh, this desensitization is really part of the problem because if we become numb to all of this, uh, then we are unlikely to respond to critical signals or crucial opportunities to turn the tide and to make sure Ukraine can remain free and independent and sovereign as a nation. Now, one of those that uh, was not buying into what uh, Lavrov said and and who responded immediately, by the way, was Israel Foreign Minister. Uh, he demanded that Russia apologize. And interestingly, uh, a rare Rare, rare move. Putin has since apologized to Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Uh, take a listen. It is an unforgivable, scandalous statement, as you said, and also, of course, a terrible historical mistake. And we expect an apology. Now, Danny Dayan from the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem said that Lavrov's statements were simply contrary to history. He's propagating the, uh, basically the inversion of the Holocaust. Uh, the victims are deemed to be the perpetrators. This is uh, abhorrent, this is despicable, this is con- contrary to historical truth. So, again, that weakening of will, that getting numb to a lot of the language, this is, this is how the victims become the perpetrators. This is how those that uh, are enduring all of this uh, suddenly are perceived as those that are the problem themselves. Uh, And that's worrisome. And I think it's important. I thought it was significant, very significant, that Vladimir Putin actually apologized to the prime minister of Israel. And Prime Minister Bennett, I think, uh, took that at at face value. Uh, But I think uh, Prime Minister Bennett is, is trying to play a different game Uh, in terms of what can be done, what can be negotiated, how can things actually move forward. Uh, Also interesting that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, in the midst of uh, many other things that uh, he's dealing with back in our nation's capital, also weighed in, saying that Lavrov's anti-Semitic comments aren't fooling anybody. The war crimes committed by Russia are as plain as day for the world to see. And to justify Russia's violence with appeals to anti-Semitism is sickening, It is dangerous. So one of the things that we're going to be watching over the next couple of days, of course, May 9th is an important day for Russia. Uh, It is one that they celebrate. May the 9th is uh, really an important victory day, of course, for Russia. Uh, It is the day that they mark its victory, Russia's victory over Nazi Germany in 1945. And, of course, Vladimir Putin has used Victory Day as a, a way to really flex and showcase military hardware uh, really show that uh, Russia is still a superpower. Uh, and it is interesting to note, though, that uh, 27 million Soviet citizens died in World War II, far greater loss than any other country. Uh, that's an interesting component to all of this. Uh, but many people who have been watching Vladimir Putin uh, and what is going on in Ukraine, many have pointed to May 9th as a, a really important day. Uh, a day, I think that Vladimir Putin thought 
he would be able to use as another celebration uh, after taking over Ukraine and annexing it back in or some portion of it back in. And uh, to that extent, he has failed miserably. And so then the question becomes, and what many are watching, uh, many of those that I've been talking to in Washington, D.C., have been looking at, does Vladimir Putin use May 9th to tell a different story to the people of Russia to reframe what this is about or what has been accomplished? Or does Vladimir Putin use May the 9th as a way to escalate the war? Is there a significant push that is coming? Uh, and so, again, as we move through the weekend, uh, all eyes uh, will be on Ukraine. All eyes will be on the Russian military. Uh, all ears will be tuned in to whatever Vladimir Putin has to say, because this will give us a good indication of what comes next. Vladimir Putin has often used May the 9th as a way to send signals in terms of what's coming next or what is important. But again, this is also about Vladimir Putin framing where they are in this war against Ukraine to the Russian people. Uh, the losses have been great. The army has failed on many fronts. And there has to be a reframing of what it is, what the purpose is, what the outcome is, and what comes next. So we'll continue to monitor all of that as the people of Ukraine continue to stand for their freedom, for their sovereignty, for their self-rule and self-determination now and for the future. A lot of crucial conversations will continue to come. Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.